This morning, we're continuing our series on the fruit of the Spirit, and I apologize to those of you who might have a little bit of OCD for the fact that we're going a little out of order as to the list in Galatians. Uh, Usually, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, but we're switching. We're putting self-control in and then putting kindness at the end. Uh, The Beckerts, we're going to share this morning. Yeah, and it's Daryl's fault because he wanted to go on the men's retreat, but he also really wanted to speak on kindness. So we switched, and I picked self-control, and I confess it's not because I have a particular interest in the topic. I just really wanted to show that video, (laughs) and so that is actually the primary motivation behind me picking this topic. Uh, I found Wally's uh, synopsis, the summary of the fruit of the Spirit, quite accurate last week. We uh, look at the fruit of spirit, we think joy, peace, love, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness. Those are all great things. Those are all things that we really want. Those, I want those things. But then we come in the middle of the list and we see patience, the vegetable of the spirit. My uh, old young adult small group uh, summarized our thoughts on patience quite well. Our small group's motto became, don't pray for patience because God will give you an opportunity to be patient. So I think that summarizes how we feel about patience. And then we come to the end of the list, and we see self-control. And I think what summarizes our response to that is the response that Caitlin gave me when I told her I was going to preach on self-control. She said, oh, really? You're going to preach on that? That is a good synopsis of how we feel about self-control as well. We're going to go to a few places in our Bibles this morning, but we're going to start in Galatians 5, so you can turn there in your Bibles in the New Living Translation. And while you're doing that, I'm going to talk a little bit about kind of what we think of when we think of self-control. And I think the situation we think of the most is food when we think of self-control. And there are two types of people or two types of struggles that we have with self-control with food. The first is like those little kids in the video. They have this marshmallow in front of them and they have this craving for marshmallows. And they're going to fight that craving. They have this rumble in their tummy and only marshmallows can satisfy it. And they're staring at this marshmallow and fight as they may, they're going to give in at that one some point. You have that craving, you need to have it now as soon as possible. That's the first type of self-control we can struggle with food. The second type is kind of one that I more fall into. I can have a craving and I can go a few weeks without satisfying it. Sometimes I can just like outlast the craving. But I suffer from the second type. And it's when you go to a restaurant and you get this big plate of food set before you. And you start eating it. And you just keep eating and eating and eating until it's all gone. And then I go home and complain all night about how full I am. And I'm so uncomfortable, but I can't stop. I, doggy bags are like very rare occurrence for me. Maybe you suffer from both those lacks of self-control. And we have an example of that, which Jared kindly reminded me of at our last small group. And he told me I could share this story so that you can all learn Uh, some self-control when it comes to food. We had 
our small groups, we had the uh, Tyler and Lindsay Schachter welcome the grade seven to nine boys to their homes or their home. And uh, they made for us this lovely meal of spaghetti and garlic bread and brownies. And Jared decided he wasn't really feeling the spaghetti. He was craving garlic bread and he was definitely craving those brownies. So we had to have them as soon as possible. So he kind of ignored his spaghetti and ate about half a loaf of garlic bread. And how many brownies did you eat, Jared? Eight. Eight brownies. Half a loaf of garlic bread and eight brownies. So he suffered both of the craving and he had to satisfy that craving. Nothing else would do. And he couldn't stop eating those foods as he did it. So he was very sick on the way home, moaning and complaining is what his mom told me, all the way home. So learn from Jared's lesson about self-control. But I don't think Paul was like primarily concerned with our eating habits when he's talking about self-control, so we better actually start turning to some scriptures. So we're going to go to Galatians 5, where we find our list of the fruit of the Spirit, but we're actually going to go earlier, and we're going to look at verses 2 to 15 with a little bit of a jump in between them. So we'll read this. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you are trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. For if you are trying to make yourself right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly await to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. You were running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he, for he is the one who called you to freedom. This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. I am trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teachings. God will judge that person, whoever he is, who has been confusing you. I'm going to jump a little bit to 13. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. So Paul identifies this kind of pendulum that we can swing on with self-control. So we're going to call it our self-control pendulum. Sounds very fun. So there's two extremes that he's identifying in this passage. The first extreme is what the Galatians were suffering from, and the first extreme is legalism. Paul tells the Galatians that by trying to find salvation by following the law, which is what that whole circumcision part is, that they're actually cutting themselves off from Christ. They are rejecting God's grace and are instead trying to do it on their own, following the rules in order to be saved. Legalism views God's grace as something that needs to be earned. I must get myself together first, and then and only then will God forgive me. This is an overemphasis on self-control. The other side of the pendulum is what we're going to use, well, I'm going to use a big word to start here, over-realized eschatology, but we're going to call it freedom in quotations because that's easier to say. And this is what the church at Corinth suffered with. So we're going to flip now over 
to 1 Corinthians, and we're going to look at chapter 6 here first, verses 12 to 14. You say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. You say food was made for the stomach and stomach for food. This is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares for our bodies. And God will raise us from the dead by his power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. So Corinth is suffering from this over-realized eschatology. Eschatology is the study of the end times. And so this over-realized eschatology is that the kingdom of God is more fully established on earth than it actually is. So a lot of sins actually don't apply to us anymore because of how established God's kingdom is here. So the Corinthians are coming from this Greek background. So they have this belief that everything physical, everything material is bad. So their dream was that when you died, your spirit would get away from this body and go live in a spiritual realm where there's nothing physical at all. Everything physical is evil. And so you add Jesus to this mixture of material, of this material things is bad, and they're over-realized eschatology, and it means in their minds that everything physical actually can't corrupt your spirit. So you can eat what you want, you can drink what you want, you don't need any physical awareness, you can do anything you want with your body because anything physical actually can't affect your spirit. This is what they were believing. So this freedom stance cheapens grace. It views grace as a free pass and misses out that on God's grace being a powerful tool for transformation. So we're going to look a little bit more at the Corinthian church this morning because in it Paul's really trying to show them the importance of self-control and the purpose behind having self-control. So we're going to jump through 1 Corinthians uh, in a few different places and we're going to talk about three different areas in which Corinth was struggling with stuff because of their self-control. Uh, they were struggling with lots of things, but we're going to look at three first. And the first one was sexual sin was the first thing that they were struggling with. So we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 7, 3 to 7 for this one. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you, you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. So as I said before, the Corinthians came up with this idea that everything physical is evil. And they also had this belief that the kingdom of God was more fully established. So they have this idea of the kingdom of God being almost pretty much fully here already. And they remember that Jesus said that in the kingdom of God, people won't be given away in marriage anymore. Marriage won't be thing in the kingdom of God. So that must mean that now, marriage doesn't mean anything. So the spouses, mostly on the women's side it seems, but both men and women would have been doing this, they were deciding that their marriages were no longer important. They were announcing their marriages, and they would say, because I am a spiritual person, I'm more spiritual 
than most people. I'm just going to abstain from all sexual relations with my spouse because I'm a more spiritual person, and spiritual people don't do those kind of physical things. But if you really have those urges and needs that need to be fulfilled, then you can just go over to the temple prostitutes and deal with them there. So they came with this kind of contradictory. They're swinging on both sides of that pendulum. They're being really legalistic and saying, I'm so spiritual that I'm going to abstain from all sexual relationships with my spouse. But they're also being overly free, saying, if you need to satisfy those urges, just go to the temple prostitutes and do it there. That's all right. It can't corrupt you because it's just a physical thing. So that's one area. Sexual sin was one area that they were struggling with self-control. The second thing they struggled with was food. Now, this isn't the same struggle with food about eating half a loaf of uh, bread and eight brownies that we were talking about earlier. It's a little bit different. So it was in 1 Corinthians 8, so next chapter over. So what about eating meat that has been offered to idols? Well, we all know that an idol is not really a god and that there is only one god. There may be some so-called gods both in heaven and on earth, and some people actually worship many gods and many lords. But for us, there is one God, the Father, by whom all things were created and for whom we live. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things were created and through whom we live. However, not all believers know this. Some are accustomed to thinking of idols as being real. So when they eat food that has been offered to idols, they think of it as the worship of real gods, and their weak consciences are violated. So, because of your superior knowledge, a weak believer for whom Christ died will be destroyed. And when you sin against other believers by encouraging them to do something they believe is wrong, you are sinning against Christ. So if what I eat causes another believer to sin, I will never eat meat as long again as long as I live. For I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. So a little cultural background is needed for this passage. In Corinth, they had this really big famous temple. and It was a temple to Aphrodite, the goddess of fertility. So how does one worship a goddess of fertility? Well, you go and have sex with the priestesses. These are the temple prostitutes that spouses who were renouncing marriage and sexual relations were sending their uh, spouses to. And the temple of Aphrodite wasn't the only temple in Corinth that actually had lots of temples because it was a really important city to Rome. So they had Aphrodite's temple, they had Apollo's temple, they had a Zeus temple, they had an emperor temple, all these temples. And the common practice to worship those gods was to sacrifice an animal to it. And then they would take that meat and they'd either sell it in the marketplace or they would serve it in the temple. The temples became kind of like a modern-day restaurant. And so people would come, and you would be able to go to the temple, go in this room that was attached to the temple, sit down, and enjoy a nice meal of that morning or that day's sacrifice. And so this became really an important place for Corinthians to come to meet their business connections and conduct business at these temple restaurants. It became really important to their lives. And by taking part in these meals, it was like you were worshipping that idol. But the Corinthian Christians were a very clever bunch. They're like, the scripture says a lot about there being only one God. So if there's only one God, then there can't be any other gods. So Zeus and Apollos and Aphrodite don't actually exist. 
So when someone sacrifices something to that idol, they're actually not sacrificing it to anything. There's nothing there. There's no such thing as that God. So if I eat that meat, it actually can't corrupt me because it actually hasn't been worshipped to a God or sacrificed to a God. It's just been sacrificed to nothing. There's nothing there. They were very clever. And so Paul's response to them is that, yes, you're absolutely right. Those gods are no such thing. There is one God, the Father, by whom all things were created and for whom we live. Those gods don't exist. So yes, you can eat meat sacrificed to idols. But there's one thing that you are forgetting. Not everyone understands this concept, this theology that you've come up with. Since Corinth has so many temples and is filled with Gentiles who are coming from an idol worship background, lots of new believers are not very far removed from idol worship. It was their daily routine not too long ago. And so by giving them this concept, there's actually no such thing as that God so you can eat meat sacrifice to it. And then dragging them to a temple to enjoy a meal there can easily drag them back into the practice of idol worship. They can't, they're not mature enough in their faith, they're not ready enough to be able to unlink that idea of this meat has been sacrificed to a God and therefore eating it is idol worship. That's still strongly linked in their mind. So Paul is telling them, you can't do that. You're just going to cause them to fall back into idol worship. It's like talking to a newly recovering alcoholic and saying, well, Jesus turned water into wine, so drinking alcohol in moderation is all right, and then taking them to a craft beer brewery, and that's me speaking to my audience, because usually I'd just say a par or a pub, but everyone's all about craft beer. So craft beer brewery for a drink. Yes, the concept is right, alcohol in moderation is good, but the sin of excess is still too fresh. The sin of idol worship is still too fresh for these new believers. And the Corinthians need to recognize that by taking them to the restaurants, by taking that recovering alcoholic to a brewery, it's going to cause them to fall back into their previous sin. So we have sexual sin they're struggling with, uh, food they're struggling with, and the third area they're struggling with was prophecy. You might be confused by the picture that's going to come up of why I put Kanye and Taylor Swift for prophecy, but it'll make sense in a little bit here. We're going to read it in 1 Corinthians 14, 27 to 31. No more than two or three should speak in tongues. They must speak one at a time, and someone must interpret what they say. But if no one is present who can interpret, they must be silent in your church meeting and speaking tongues to God privately. Let two or three people prophesy, and then let, and let the others evaluate what is said. But if someone is prophesying and another person receives a revelation from the Lord, the one who is speaking must stop. In this way, all who prophesy have a turn to speak, one after the other, so that everyone will learn and be encouraged. So the Corinthians thought that if you were a spiritual person, you would be able to speak in tongues, or at least prophesy. And so now everyone wanted to show off how spiritual they were. So you ended up having many people speaking in tongues and prophesying all at the same time. Much like Kanye going up and deciding he wanted to speak when Taylor Swift was trying to give her acceptance speech. That's why I put that photo. I actually just googled 
interruption. That was the first thing that came up. And I was like, yes. Paul points out two flaws with this. The first one is obvious. If everyone is speaking at the same time, then no one can hear what everyone else is saying. The words just become pointless. And the other flaw is based on the fact that they think speaking in tongues is the most spiritual gift. So they speak in tongues, showing off how spiritual they are, showing off, look at this gift I have, I'm super spiritual, more spiritual than you. And then there's no one there to actually interpret what they're saying, and so it's just adding noise to the mix. It's not actually helping the community at all. You're just making more noise. Paul is telling the purpose of these gifts is not to show off how spiritual or how talented you are, but to help each other and to help each other grow in faith. So those are the three things they struggled with, with sexual sin, uh, food, and prophecy, and speaking in tongues. See, for the Corinthians there, freedom allowed them to renounce marriage and go visit the prostitutes if the need had arised. Their freedom allowed them to eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols, even if it's going to cause their brother or sister in Christ to fall back into idol worship. And their freedom allows them to speak whenever they want during church meetings so that it's just a bunch of people yelling and speaking. So Paul decides he's going to teach them a little something about self-control and what it looks like in his own life. This is 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. So don't you, oh, and this is the ESV version, not NLT, because it actually says self-control in it. Do, not, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, not an, and we, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So Paul is using a sports metaphor here because it's something the Corinthians were very aware of back in their day. Corinth was the site of, and I'm going to have a really tough time saying this, the Isthmian Games, which were an event similar to the Olympics and was the largest only next to the Olympics during that time. So if these athletes that are practicing in these games are practicing self-control in what they eat, in their actions, and in their exercising for a perishable crown, and it's perishable because the thing that they put on their head is actually just withered celery, then how much more should we practice self-control in order to receive the imperishable prize that God offers us, that crown of eternal life? Now, Paul's metaphor could have been even richer if sports such as these existed. The games only had running races, uh, wrestling, and boxing were their main sports, all individual sports. So they didn't really have team sports. I had to put myself in the Oilers jersey because Wally preached on patience and wore a Canucks jersey. And I feel like if you want to preach on patience, it should be an Oilers jersey considering Canucks have been winning President's Trophies and making playoffs um, until recently, at least not finishing near last in the league every year. And even though you're getting all the first-round picks, nothing's changing. And then I also put the Vancouver Whitecaps so that you all know that I do support a Vancouver team and won't throw rocks at me after the sermon. But if they had team sports, Paul definitely 
would have used them as his analogy. Because Paul understood something about self-control that I don't think we often think about when we think of self-control. So this might be a little mind-blowing because it kind of blew my mind when, it came to, when uh, I was reading about it. All right, here we go. Practice, practicing proper self-control is actually not practicing it for your own sake. Self-control is not meant to actually primarily benefit you. There's your mind blowing right there. Richard Hayes in his commentary points this out. He says, The punishment, or the discipline in our, in our translation, of the body refers to grueling training for the contest, seeking to bring the body to peak efficiency, to enslave, or to keep it under control. To enslave the body means, in this context, to devote it unreservedly to God's service through service to others, not to practice self-denial for its own sake. This is why Paul would have used team sports if it was a thing. Great athletes train hard to discipline their bodies to bring it to peak efficiency, not for their own sake, but for the sake of the team. Great athletes could play an amazing game, but if their team loses, they're not happy. All the self-control, the discipline of their diet and their training and their exercise and team sports is for the sake of their team. I've played soccer forever ever until recently due to time constraints. But when I was a kid, my dad would often coach my team. And so there were many days where I didn't want to go to practice because I was being lazy. And he would say, you have to go to practice because if you don't go, you let your team down. It's not about you, it's about the team. You practice and train to get better for the sake of your team. When we think of self-control, we often think of worldly self-control, not eating those foods because they're bad for us or they will make us gain weight, not buying that item so that we have the money for more other necessary things for ourselves, not yelling at that customer who just threw the clothing you had folded on the floor so that you won't get in trouble or get fired by your manager. With godly self-control, we so easily can fall into legalism or freedom because we take self-control and we apply it just to ourselves and see it as just a thing to benefit ourselves. See, the Corinthians are toying on both extremes of the self-control pendulum when it comes to uh, sexual sin. The legalistic side says that Jesus says there won't be marriage in the kingdom, so that means our marriages mean nothing now. And if we are truly spiritual, we will abstain from all sex. I want to show how spiritual I am, so I'm going to abstain from that. The freedom side says that if you feel urges and needs for those sexual things, then you can just go to the temple prostitutes because we are set free from those sinful things and they don't affect us because they're physical. They don't affect the spirit. And there's grace for us in those areas. It's all about satisfying my needs. But Paul says, the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. You have a sexual relation with your spouse, not primarily for your sake, but for your spouse's. You practice self-control and your sexual desires by keeping sex within you and your spouse and only your spouse, 
not primarily for your benefit, but for the benefit of your spouse. They can feel faithfulness and love, fidelity. With food, the illegalistic side abstains from certain food and drinks because they like to see themselves as better than other people. They don't touch the certain alcohol or certain foods and look down on those who do. And it's not saying that abstaining from those things is bad. It's the attitude that you have behind it. And this self-control could be linked with righteousness and righteousness on the sake of their own self-denial. I am, again, more spiritual, more righteous than you because I don't drink that, I don't eat that. The Corinthians on the freedom side said that nothing you eat or drink can make you impure. Idle meat is nothing, so we should all be able to participate. Alcohol is not bad in moderation, so everyone should be able to drink. And so they look down or don't even think about those who are affected by those things. It's all about what they want to satisfy, the cravings that they want to satisfy, those things that they want. But Paul says... If what I eat causes another believer to sin, I will never eat meat again as long as I live, for I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. You practice self-control not so that you are more righteous than others, but so that your eating of idol meat doesn't cause your fellow brother or sister in Christ to fall into idol worship again. You don't, so that your drinking of craft beer doesn't cause your fellow brother or sister to fall into alcoholism again. You practice self-control over what you eat, when you eat, where you eat, who you eat it with, not for your own sake, but for the sake of your brother and sister. With the use of tongues and prophecies, both sides miss the point of the gifts. Legalism says that you only have the Spirit if you can speak in tongues. It becomes a proof of salvation. It's all about proving that you are saved, proving that you are spiritual. It can also say that things like the King James translation is the only true translation and holding opinions that my opinion is right and everyone else's opinion is wrong. It's more about me being right. The freedom side that the Corinthians held was almost similar to the legalism side. Speaking in tongues and prophecies becomes proof that you have the spirit in you, that you are more spiritual than other people. So you speak in tongues or prophecies so that all can know how spiritual you are. And so you speak it whenever you want to just so you can get it into that church meeting and everyone can see, oh, look how spiritual they are. But Paul says no more than two or three should speak in tongues. They must speak one at a time and someone must interpret what they say. But if no one is present who can interpret, they must be silent in your church meeting and speak in tongues privately. And he says, if someone is prophesying and another person receives a revelation from the Lord, the one who is speaking must stop. And this way, all who have prophecy, all who prophesy, have a turn to speak one after the other so that everyone will learn and be encouraged. Paul recognizes that the real purpose of the gifts of tongue and prophecy is so that everyone can learn and be encouraged. Use these gifts to teach and encourage others, not to show off your spirituality or how saved you are. Self-control comes in when you choose by choosing when to speak and when to remain silent. You control when you speak so that others may be able to learn and be encouraged. It's not your benefit, it's for the benefit of the community. Self-control 
is not a fruit given for our own self-approvement, but is a fruit given for the benefit of the community. We need to unlink this idea that those who have more self-control are more pious or righteous, and to have self-control is to be more pious or righteous. That eliminates grace, as Paul warned back in our Galatians 5 practice or passage. By trying to receive righteousness through self-control, by following the law, you reject the righteousness that Christ offers to give you by grace. And you will never be able to read receive the righteousness you're seeking by obtaining it through the law, by your works, by your self-control. Instead, we need to look at self-control through the lens that Paul has. The purpose of self-control is for the benefit of the community. This means disciplining and training ourselves so we are wise in control of the words we use, that we practice self-control in what we say so that we are building other people up instead of tearing them down to make ourselves seem better. Maybe some of us need more self-control in the content we share with others, whether that be music, movies, video games, or stuff like that. So that we're making sure we're not causing our other brothers and sisters to stumble on their faith by what we're sharing with them. Maybe some of us need more self-control in what we choose to wear, and instead of arguing about ourselves being censored in our own self-expression, we should be thinking of those who may be caused to stumble because of our choice of clothing. And that's not picking on females, both females and males need to be aware of that. Basically, everything I've said about self-control is summarized in Galatians 5, 13 to 15. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. Do not reject your freedom by becoming legalistic. Do not misuse your freedom by satisfying your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom and use your self-control to serve those around you. Because self-control is given to benefit not yourself primarily, but for those around you. The worship team is going to come up and lead us in a couple songs, and we're going to have a prayer response team uh, on the side. Megan Alley and Deb and Anne-Marie will be on the sides to pray for you. The thing about the fruit of the Spirit is we hear a message on something like self-control, and God doesn't expect us to just be like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do self-control. He doesn't expect us to say, okay, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to practice patience now. He wants us to come to him. The fruit of the Spirit is something that's given to us, not something that we try to practice ourselves and then say, look, God, look what I'm doing. God wants to give that gift to us. So maybe you're feeling, I'm lacking in self-control or I'm lacking in patience or any of those fruits of the Spirit and you need to bring that before God. That's what the prayer team on the side is there for you. So feel free to go speak to them as we worship.